You're listening to How to Win with Mike Moore, the podcast that provides you with practical insights on how to win in every arena of life. Hello, I'm Mike Moore, and welcome to another episode of the How to Win podcast. These podcasts are based off 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. It says, now thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph. Man, I can't get enough of that verse. We always triumph in Christ Jesus. I'm so glad to have you with us today. Uh, We have a good episode today. I want you to tag a friend, let them know uh, that we are live. You can also get the audio on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. But listen, at the end of the session today, I'm going to receive all questions. I got one question that came in last week that I didn't answer, but I'm going to answer all of your questions and I'm going to communicate your comments. Uh, You did a great job of sending your questions in in our last session. So I got my iPad here and sending your questions or your comments. Anything I say, you can disagree. won't bother me at all. Uh, You can give comments or insights that you got. I'm willing to share it because that helps me. It helps us to fill in all of our gaps. But I'm so excited to have you with us today. I believe it's going to be a blessing. I also want to ask you to share the podcast with someone else. It's so simple. Technology has made things so simple. All you got to do is push a button now and share with other people, and that's how the word grow. In our last session, I began a new podcast series entitled Down for the Count. Down for the Count. This is uh, our second lesson, our second episode, and the theme is pride. We're dealing with the subject of pride. It's about a three-lesson series. Uh, This is our second lesson. The 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 phrase down for the count is a metaphorical reference to the sport of boxing. It's when a boxer get hit with the punch, is knocked down, and is unable to get up before the referee counts to 10. It is said that that fighter is down for the count. Now, there are some other uh, references to this phrase, down for the count. It also means to be defeated. It means to be doomed. And one of the definitions that I found that was very interesting, it means render irrelevant for the long term. Render irrelevant for the long term. We're talking about pride, and pride will knock you out of the game of life, and it will keep you from getting up. And pride will also hinder you uh, from walking out the full purpose and plan for God's life. I think we touched on something. As I meditated on this, I, I really sense God's spirit let me know that this is a very important area. Now, I uh, shared a prophetic word that the Lord gave me some time ago, and he said that the next move of God will be in the area of character. The next 
move of God. And I know you want to be a part of the next move of God. I want to be a part of the next move of God. And he said that the next move of God will be in the area of character. Oh, I, I, you know, I want to I want to have a, a, a type of character good character that will position me for the next move. How about you? We have to make sure that we develop our character, integrity, and honesty before God so that we can be a part of the next move of God. So I felt led of the Spirit to deal with some issues that related to character. We believe that God wants you to walk in his best, and we we teach on that. But now we're talking about developing ourselves. We're developing our character. I did a, I did a series, Climbing Down the Ladder to Greatness, and it was on humility. I'm teaching now on pride. We're going to teach on some other areas that deal with the character issue. In our last session, we talked about pride. What is it? What is pride? And we spent the whole session and you sent in some great questions and gave some great comments. I'm looking forward to getting your questions today, your comments today. But we're going to talk about pride, the trap of Satan. That's our subtopic, pride, the trap of Satan. Our background text is 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 6 through 7 in the New Living Translation. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 6 through 7 in the New Living Translation. It says, a church leader must not be a new believer because he might become proud. We're dealing with pride. And the devil will cause him to fall. Now, notice when we get over into pride, the Bible said the devil will cause us to fall. Also, people outside of the church must speak well of him so that he will not be disgraced and fall into the devil's trap. We we don't want to be disgraced and we do not want to fall into the devil's trap. So we're going we're gonna to be talking about pride in leadership today. We're going to be talking about pride in relationships. And we're going to be talking about pride in the body of Christ. We're going to be talking about pride in leadership. We're going to be talking about pride in relationships and pride in the body of of Christ. You said there is there pride in the body of Christ? Trust me, there is pride in the body of Christ. Now, before we get to pride and leadership, let's just take a little overview. This will not be an exhaustive list, but I want to talk about briefly the different kinds of pride, the different kinds of pride. Number one, there's social pride. Social pride is keeping up with the Joneses. Keeping up with the Joneses. Do you try to keep up with the Joneses? That's a little phrase. When you look outside and you see your neighbor has a new car, you know, or or a new, uh, I think LP was talking about a, a story about a person had a ride more and he was pushing his uh, push more. Uh, do you feel that 
temptation to keep up with the Joneses. Uh, that's social pride. And then there's spiritual pride, judging others' level of spirituality. Do you feel that you're qualified to judge other believers' level of spirituality? I think that falls under the heading of spiritual pride. And then there's financial pride. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 says, Charge them that are rich in this world. Now notice that they, those that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches. Now notice in this particular verse, 1 Timothy 6, 17, pride is connected to trusting in our financial resources. Well, we trust in our financial resources or we're trying to impress others with our wealth. That's a form of financial pride. And then there's political pride. It's the pride that we see in Washington. It's the pride that we see in Congress. Political pride is that political party arrogance, that division between the Democrats and the Republicans and, and everybody or some of them trying to get the other one and, 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 and talk down the other one and, and all that kind of stuff. That's a political pride. There's a sexual pride, and I call this a stud mentality. I want you to listen at this, guys, a stud mentality, sexual pride, using one's charisma to exploit the opposite sex. Let me ask you a question. How do, do you feel that you just got some gift, you know, some ability to talk women uh, into the bedroom with you or sleeping with women. You just got this charisma. You got this gift to, to get people in the bed with you, women in the bed with you. I just call it a stud mentality. I don't know what you call it, but it's a form of sexual pride. Then there's the pride of pedigree, the pride of pedigree. That's placing an importance on one's background. Have you ever seen people? I know I'm not talking about you, but have you ever seen any p people, they're so proud of their background? And, and, and here again, we know that there is a good side, uh, a healthy side of pride, self-respect, proud of your accomplishments. That's one thing. But there's a whole, it, it, it falls into a, uh, entire different category when your pedigree makes you better than other people or superior to, to other people. Then there's educational pride where you feel the need to impress others with your degrees and your titles. It's wonderful that you are a doctor and, and you have a DDD or MDD or whatever, but you can get over into educational pride when you're trying to impress others with your degrees and with your titles. Intellectual pride, intellectual pride, when you always feel the need to let folk know how much you know. You just, you just feel like I've got to let you know how smart I am.
And then there's the pride of image. I think a, a lot of our young uh, teenagers early fall into the pride of image, the need to impress others. And, and unfortunately, adults fall in this same category in some cases. Pride of image is the need to impress others with our status symbols, the need to impress others with our status symbols, whether it be cars, you know, we drive our car back because we want everybody to see it, or our house, or our clothes, or latest our purse, we got a Louis, whatever, we got a this, and we want to make sure everybody see that, you know, and, and that, and there's nothing wrong with having those kind of purses. Nothing wrong with it at all. But if it if it makes you feel better about yourself and it it, it builds your self-esteem, then I think that's a faulty foundation that a purse or a car or uh, you know tailored suit or whatever, if it makes you somebody, then I think that's a form of pride. And then there's the national pride. And, uh, you know, when you talk about national pride, I'm not talking about that healthy patriotism where you feel loyal to your country. You, 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 you're glad you're a part of your country. You're supportive of your country. You want to help other citizens in your country. You're loyal to your country. There's nothing wrong with that. But that extreme nationalism where my country is better than yours, and then I can talk down other countries and, and put them down because they're nobody. That's a form of national or nationalistic pride. Then there's racial pride, the the, the proud of your color, the color of your skin. It, it can be a form of racial pride. There's nothing wrong with being uh, thankful for who you are, accepting who you are, whether you're black, white, red, yellow, brown. But when your color or your skin color makes you feel or or you're tempted to feel that you're better than others, then that's a form of racial pride. Then there's the theological pride. It is feeling superior because of your doctrinal rightness or uh, your denominational affiliation. And we get all, we get caught up in that kind of stuff. I'm a, I'm, I'm a word of faith person and I'm a this kind of person. And, and oh, are you just a, oh, you're just a Baptist. I'm, I'm a word person. And you get caught up in all these different kinds of things, but it really boils down to just nasty, filthy pride is a form of pride. And I said it like that. I'm not saying you're nasty. I'm not saying you're filthy, but pride originates in Satan and he's nasty and he's filthy. No doubt about it. So let's talk about and here again, any questions you have, you can send your questions, your comments in, and at the end, I will go through them. I want to talk about pride in leadership, pride in relationships, pride in the body of Christ, pride in leadership, pride in relationships, and pride in the body of Christ. Let's talk about pride in, in, in leadership. And when I say leadership, it can be 
any form of leadership, whether it be leadership in the home, uh, parents, that mother, father, uh, it can be leadership in the home, the, that husband, that that the domestic head of the home. It can be family. It can be leadership at work, leadership in church, uh, leadership in business, leadership across the board. We're talking about leadership across the board. And pride is, is particularly uh, tempting for leaders. It can be a destructive thing uh, for leaders. So I want to give you two illustrations, and then I want to share some things that I think may help leaders in this area of, of pride. And, and, you know, all of us, including myself, have not only been tempted by pride, but have yielded to it. You know, I've had to repent in some cases where God revealed pride, just pride in my in my heart and in my life. So the first uh, background text I like to look at is Acts chapter 12, verse 21 through 23. Acts chapter 12, verse 21 through 23. And I'm just going to read it to you in the Amplified Bible. And this has to do with a king in Judah named uh, Herod Agrippa, King Herod Agrippa. It says, on an appointed day, Herod arrayed himself in his royal robes. His royal robes. And he took his seat upon his throne. He took his seat upon his throne. And he, ad he addressed and oration, and they addressed an oration to him. And the assembled people shouted, It is the voice of a God and not of a man. And at once an angel of the Lord smote him and cut him down, cut him down, because he did not give God the glory, the preeminence, and kingly majesty that belonged to him as a supreme ruler. And he was eaten by worms and died. Now, this king was a very, very proud king. Uh, he had uh, used his power, uh, his position in a very abusive way. In that 12th chapter, we didn't read it, but he captured James, the brother John, and, and killed him, executed him. And when he saw that it made an impression on the people, he arrested Peter, and he was going to kill, execute Peter, but an angel came and rescued Peter out of the jail. But here on this particular day, the Bible says he was at this event, and he was arrayed in his royal robes and his garment, and he took his seat on the throne and addressed an oration to the people. He was talking to the people, and the people began to shout, it's the voice of a God and not the voice of a man. And the Bible says an angel of the Lord smote him and cut him down because he did not give God the glory. Died with eating of worms. Um, that's a sad way to die, but he was a very proud, a very proud king. Pride had taken 
his life. I want to look at another leader in the church who was also victimized by pride. His name was Diotrephes, Diotrephes. Third John, the third epistle of John, verses 9 through 11, the third epistle of John, verses 9 through 11, Here's what it says. Paul, the, the, uh, the writer here is writing to the church. I wrote to the church about this. This is John. I wrote to the church about this. But Diotrephes, who loved to be the leader. I think the traditional King James said he loved to have the preeminence. But this translation said he loved to be the leader. He refused to have anything to do with us. Not only does he refuse to welcome the traveling teachers, he also tells others not to help them. And when they do, he puts them out of the church. Dear friends, don't let this bad example influence you. So John is writing to the church and he talks about this leader in the church. I don't know whether he was a pastor or some kind of elder, but obvious he had some authority in the church. And there were traveling people, and, and in those days, it was the right thing to do to show hospitality to these traveling teachers, Christian teachers. And he wouldn't allow it. He just wouldn't allow it in his church, and he told other folk, you're not going to be able to do, you're not going to do this in the church. And if they went against what he said, he threw them out of church. He had folk throw them out of the church. Now, this is a leader, a Christian leader, and he's throwing people out of the church, kicking out of the church because he don't feel that they are uh, what he wants them to be. These are two sad illustrations of leadership. I think you can find this in a lot of arenas, this kind of leadership. But let's, let's, I want to talk about, I read an article, I actually read two articles, and um, I want you to listen at one of the articles came out of the Harvard Business Review, and this article was why leaders in various business organizations fail. Why do leaders in various business organizations fail? And they list four factors. Now, I want you to listen. Whether you be a leader in the home, parent, husband, whoever, mother, whoever, if you're a leader in the home, leader in church, you may be a pastor, apostle, prophet, evangelist, you're a leader, or you may be a manager, director in your organization, supervisor in your business, or in your church, you may be over a department, over a group, whatever. Whatever level of leadership, I want you to listen to these four factors because this survey and this study, it talked about the four factors of why leaders fail in business. But I think this is also true of leaders in the church and other arenas. Now, number one, the four factors, they were authoritarians. They were authoritarians, controlling demanding, and not listening to others. That's a recipe. This is a recipe for failure. If you're a leader and you're an authoritarian, 
and you just crook control, you just demand, and you don't listen to anyone. Now, that's true if you're a husband, that's true if you're a parent, you just tell folk what to do, you tell your kids what to do, you just demand, and you don't ever listen to them. You don't listen to what they have to say. They can't have an opinion. They can't have a comment. That will be true. I'm a pastor. If I never listen to folk in my church, I'm controlling, I'm demanding, uh, sooner or later, and that's on your job, you're just controlling, demanding. You don't listen to anybody. You don't want any feedback. You, you get defensive when people give you feedback. That's a recipe for failure and authoritarian because people resent that. People have ideas. Followers have ideas. Uh, followers, even children, they want to express themselves. There's a difference between being rude and unkind and unsubmissive and just want to share your feelings. You should allow your children to share their feelings because you don't want them to get down the road when they're teenagers and you done told them to shut up. And now you want them to talk to you. They're not going to talk to you because you did not train them to be able to talk to you in a respectful way. And that's true of any area of leadership. Authoritarians, people who are control everything, just telling folk what to do and never listen to people, people are going to resent it. They're going to follow you a lot of times, but they're not going to want to. And then others are just going to leave. The moment kids get out of the house, they're gone. Okay. That's just going to, and, and people will change churches. They leave, they go somewhere else uh, because of our leadership style, authoritarian. The second fact that they said was they were autonomous, autonomous. They had little accountability. They were aloof and isolated. They had little accountability. Nobody was over them. They, they had nobody that they were submitting to. And, you know, you know, I have a board and, and a board of directors over our church, and they have, they have desires. They have things that they like to see done, and, and that's a part of my accountability, you know, having people that can speak into that situation, into your situation with some level of authority. Everyone needs some level of accountability. But these leaders, leaders had little accountability. They were aloof. You know, some leaders, they don't connect with people. They just give orders, give instructions, but they never spend time with the people. They never talk to the people. They don't connect. You know, they don't connect with the people at all. They just lead. They got the title of leader and they have no connection with the fellowship. That's a recipe for failure. They're isolated. These leaders were isolated, and, and that's what autonomous. They were little accountability. They were aloof. You couldn't get close to people. Anytime you're a leader and your fathers can never say anything to you, can't even speak to you, can't, you just totally remove from them, it's going to be hard to lead people like that. And, and thirdly, they committed adultery. Now, this 
was an article in the Harvard Business Review. And these are the four factors that cause leaders to fail. And the third factor, they committed adultery. Now think about that. This was not a Christian survey. This was not a Christian study. Said they, these, why do leaders fail? It says they committed adultery. In other words, it was a part of their, their that power trip they were on. And, and, and the fact that I'm a leader, I have authority, and I can just sleep with who I want to. I can go with who I want to. And many times these leaders were actually having sexual relations with people, subordinates, people that were under their jurisdiction. They committed adultery. That's what the review said. And then the fourth fact that they became more arrogant and felt and acted superior to others. They became more arrogant, more arrogant. They knew everything about everything. And the reason the organization or the church or the, the business was successful was purely for them because of them, their ability, their skill, their wisdom. They became more arrogant and they felt and acted superior to others. Failure, that's pride. It pulls you down. And, and I was reading another article, uh, and I want every leader to be listening. Every leader. We have to guard ourselves against this pride thing. We got to make sure. We got to be evaluating ourselves that we don't fall into this thing. And then down the road, people left or down the road, our kids don't want to have anything to do with us. And we're trying to figure out what's went, what went on. So I was reading another article, and it was called The Five Faces of pride, the five faces of pride in leadership, five faces of pride. This was by Stephen Valandino, and he listed the five faces of pride, and they all start with a P. Number one, he says pretending, pretending, leaders who pretend. In other words, they don't practice what they preach. They don't practice what they teach. They're telling folk what they should do and tell folk how they should do it, but they don't practice it. They're just pretending. They're just pretending. Leaders who pretend. Are you a leader who just pretending? Secondly, they were, they, the second uh, face of uh, pride in leadership was power. They use power strategically to manipulate people to obey them. They use their power to manipulate people to obey them. You see, they got power. When you're in leadership, you know, the buck stops with you. You got a lot of authority. So they would use their power to manipulate people to follow. See, great leaders don't manipulate people to follow them. They inspire them. They, they inspire people to follow, and they, they usually inspire them by example. They don't just tell them. 
they walk it out. People can see it. They can see the example. You know, they can see it. So the people are inspired to follow. They're not manipulated. And, and these leaders who use power, they also use, they use fear-based power. In other words, if you don't do what I say, I'm getting rid of you. If you don't do what I say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take money from you. If you don't, and it's a fear-based kind of leadership, they're using their power to make people afraid. So now people are following, not because they are inspired, they're following because they're afraid. And then the third P was perception. Uh, these leaders are very concerned about how I think about myself and what I think others think about me. Perception, concerned about what people think. And this is a big one. And, and we have to we have to um, we have to really guard ourselves. I remember and you may have heard me say this, but I remember one time I, I'm a pastor I, I corrected someone in church, and I did it in a public for a setting. And, and there are times, because we have the gifts of the Spirit operating in our church as a pastor, I have to correct things. And there's times there are things that can happen in a sec session. The pastor has to correct it so the people don't be misled in the wrong way. So now this illustration is an exception. When I corrected this particular situation, I did it the wrong way. I said it the wrong way. It was not right the way I said it. And so I said it. I corrected this person. Now remember, there are times when the pastor has to correct people right in church so everybody else can be instructed and not misled and not misinformed. But in this setting, now remember, don't come back and say, well, you can't correct people in church. Yeah, the pastor has to correct people because the pastor is the leader. I am saying I did it wrong. Okay, I did it wrong. So I try to be sensitive to God. I want to walk softly before God. And I came back to my seat after I did it. Before I ministered, I came back to my seat and literally almost before I could sit down, the spirit of God was dealing with me about it. He was dealing with me about it. you did not say that right. You didn't do that right. You need to deal with that. And I, you know, I'm sitting up there. I'm, I'm nobody knows what's going on with me, but I'm I'm talking and thinking to God, you know, like, yeah, OK, OK. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't do it right. I didn't do it right. And I'm thinking in my mind, yeah, as soon as the service over, I'll go to her and let her know and apologize to her. I do. And now he he, he wasn't going to let me do that. Now, you understand what I say. He won't let me do that. God will let it, us do anything we want to do. And, and it suffered a consequence, but he was nudging me. The Spirit of God was nudging me. No, you got to do that. And, and so I was struggling with it. I finally got up and I asked the lady to stand up and I said, the way I said that to you was not right. Said in front of the whole congregation. And I apologize. I asked you to forgive me. And I told the church, I'm sorry. That was a bad example. Will y'all forgive me? And, and, you know, I felt really small when I did that, okay? but it was the right thing to do. But why did I struggle? Why did I struggle? I struggled because I, I was conscious of 
how people will, what they will think about me. You know, I'm the pastor and, and you know, I, I, I was more concerned about me and that's what that face of uh, perception. Sometimes we are so concerned about what the people will think that we don't do the right thing. We have to do the right thing regardless to what the people will think. And much of the time, the people will think well of you as a leader if you're willing to acknowledge you made a mistake. Don't cover it up. Don't fault find. Don't throw people on the bus. Accept the responsibility and do it in an open way. It won't push people away. Most of the time, people will say, okay, I can trust that person because even if they miss it, they're going to acknowledge it. So you cannot be concerned, that's perception, about what the people think. The fourth phase of, of, leader, of leadership has to do with perks, you know, perks. And, and Jesus, you know, the, 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 the perks of it. Um, I think that there are certain benefits that leadership get and certain privileges that they should get. And I, I have perks, okay? For example, I have a garage. When we built the dome, they built the dome in such a way where a garage was built in the back of the dome where I could drive in and get out of my car inside the dome. That's a perk. You understand what I'm saying? Um, when I had hair, you know, they built a little barber area in the church so that they could trim me up so that I could be neat when I go out and minister. That's a perk. You know what I mean? Sometimes it can be an office. It can be the position of an office. It can be uh, the bigness of the office. That's a perk. There's nothing wrong with perks for a leader. It's just when a perk controls the leader, dominates the leader, when, when the leader is more concerned about the perks than the people, more concerned about my perks instead of uh, serving people. When that becomes my uh, sense of peace and well-being, my perk, then you can get over into an arena of pride. And not just a pastor. It can be just employees. You know, I want to be in this office and I want to be in this place and I want this and and you get into they have these offices and I got a cubicle and all these things you can get over into so much pride in these particular areas uh, when God sees the attitude of our heart perks and then the fifth phase of uh, uh, is position and titles you know, I, I see uh, young ministers especially 
It will be true of some older ministers, but especially young ministers, they get really called into their title. You know what I mean? They, they want to be called this and, and they want to have this position and, and that kind of thing. And, and uh, they, uh, they can get upset if you don't call them Dr. Mike Moore or, you know, it's really important that you put the DR on there and they enter the titles and they enter the positions and, and all that, you know, I'm an apostle so-and-so and, and you know what I mean? That's who I am. And, and you know, it's, sometimes it's interesting looking at young ministers and this is not true of all, so I'm not talking about anybody. I'm not talking about anybody. Uh, no, so don't hear this and think, well, he's talking about me. No, no, I don't have anybody in my mind about that. Thank you. We got some questions coming in. We got three questions, got comment coming in. Please send them in. But I, I just look at young ministers who hadn't accomplished a whole lot, yet they real concerned about their title, real concerned about this, but they hadn't really accomplished a whole lot, but they real concerned about it. You know, what's on the building? It is, it is a building that's five feet, you know, wide. And I mean, just, you could put three chairs in there and it's this big old international world renowned ministry and stuff like that. And they real concerned about the titles and the positions and all that kind of stuff. It may not be true of everybody. So I don't want you to hear me saying being critical because I'm putting myself in this, you know, I can look back on issues and it was just pride. It was just, you know, it, you know, my story is that I started off wanting a big church. I wanted a huge church. I really did. I wanted a large church. And there's nothing wrong with growth, but God had to call me on the carpet. Why do you want it? Why do you want a big church? You know, why do you want a lot of members? Why do you want that? Well, see, in the world, I wanted to be a professional athlete, and that didn't pan out. That was that ego. Nothing wrong with being a professional athlete. But I was driven by it. It didn't work out. Then I wanted to be an attorney. Then God called me in ministry. And so that didn't really work out. So all I did was transfer my ego from one place to another place to ministry. It was an ego thing. It wasn't about serving people. It wasn't about loving people. It was about Mike Moore, about Mike Moore being a big shot and Mike Moore having a big church and Mike Moore having this. And God had to deal with me about that early in my ministry. And I asked him to burn the big shot out of me. And I, I want to ask you a question. Does God need to burn the big shot out of you? Does he need to burn the big shot out of you? You know, maybe you got the big shot in you. Maybe it's not really about people. Maybe do is it that you love people or is it about you? You know, why do you want to be great? Why do you want uh, to have all these subscribers and why you want it? You know, why do you want to have a fan club? Why do you want to have uh, this? Why you want it? I mean, that's very important. And is there any pride in there? You know, why, why, you know, you know, you can have pride in a lot of areas. Like, why you want to get married? Well, you know, I want somebody to help me with these children. Well, okay, but is that, you know, why? I mean, 
what about the other person? Do you want to serve somebody? Do you want to be a blessing to somebody? Or you just want somebody to bless you or help you? I mean, why do you want it? I mean, why why do you want the position at church? Why why do you want to sing? Why do, why do you want to be the soloist? I mean, why? Tell me, why? Why do you want to be on front line? Nothing wrong with that, but why do you want it? Okay, why do you want it? Why do you want it? Why do you want it? Okay, why? I'm talking to you. Why do you want it? Sometimes we have to be honest and realize that it's really about pride. You know, sometimes we have to just be honest and see, God is never going to slap you across the head because you're honest. All he's going to do is, is draw you near and hug you and say, I'll help you to get where you need to be. And so many people, and, you know, I was going to talk about some other stuff. I was going to talk about relationships. I was going to talk about in the church. I'm, not, I'm just going to stay right here with leadership today. Let's just talk about you're a leader or you aspire to be a leader or you want to be a leader. You know, or maybe you just judging leaders, you know, you know what I mean? You the judge, you know, none of them. Are, these don't have it together. They don't have it together. They don't. Okay. How did you become, how did you become the expert at what sh people should be doing and they shouldn't be doing? I, I mean, think about it. How you know that pastor not doing what God told him to do? Were you there? Did you talk to the Lord? What did the Lord talk to you or what? Maybe you're in pride. Maybe you are in pride. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's, maybe it's pride. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's pride. Maybe do you have a pride problem? Are you dealing with pride? Are you dealing with the pride? Is it pride? Is it a pride issue? Is it a pride issue? I wanna I wanna say this. I, I was gonna get to something else, but somehow I sense that I shouldn't get to something else. I sense that I should make sure, and, and right now I'm talking to you as a husband, you know, you're a leader. Think about it. You're in that home and you're the leader of the home. What about you? What, what about you? Are you authoritarian? Are you controlling? Are you a controlling husband? Are you demanding? Do you listen to your spouse? Are you autonomous? You have anybody? You, you, I know it's your house, and I, but do you have anybody, man? who you're listening to? Do you have anybody that you're accountable to? Do you have a pastor that you respect? Can that pastor speak into your life? Accountability. Are you aloof, isolated? Oh yeah, you pay the bills, you come in there, but nobody's, you're not connected to anybody. What about you? Are you committing adultery? Are you arrogant? What about you, pastor? What about you? Are you an authoritarian? Are you demanding and controlling? What about you? Can you listen to people? 
Are you autonomous? Do you have an accountability? Are you aloof? Are you isolated, pastor? What about you, pastor? Are you sleeping around with the folk in the church? What about you, pastor? Are you becoming more arrogant? What about you, parents? What about you? Are you an authoritarian? Do you listen to your children? Are you isolated? What about you, parents? Are you committing adultery? Because think about it. You're the parent, and you commit adultery. What are the kids supposed to do? What about you? I want to I wanna close. I got... You, I got some questions here. I got some comments here. But I want to make one statement before I close. I, I know I said it, and I intended to do it. And we'll get there next week. We'll talk about pride in relationships. We'll talk about pride in church. And then maybe we'll, we'll, we'll go. We'll, we'll talk about, I, I got a whole thing on overcoming pride. A whole thing on overcoming pride. But we'll just we'll just start with this statement. Then I'm gonna get to your questions. You can you can still send them in. You can send your comments in. But listen at this, leader. Listen at this. I think this will help you. If if help me. As leaders, we have to remember. As leaders, whatever area you're in, of leadership, we have to remember this. People, the people, the position, and the power are stewardship opportunities that God has entrusted us with. Now I want I want you to I want you to get this. I want you to get this. As a leader, whatever area of leadership, you have to understand that the people the position and the power that you have are stewardship opportunities that God has entrusted you with. In other words, the people under you are not yours. They belong to God. He's given you the opportunity to lead them. Now, that's going to impact how you lead if you know the people under you belong to God, not you. They don't belong to you. So God is looking at how you handle those people because they belong to him and you're a steward. It's a stewardship opportunity. The position you have, whatever that position is, is a stewardship opportunity that God has trusted you with. The power that you have, that authority to be able to, to, to say and then people respond, that's a stewardship opportunity that God has entrusted with you. And if you get that down, that you're a steward as a husband, you're a steward as parents, you're a steward as a pastor, you're a steward as a department leader, you're a steward as a manager, a super. If you get that down, it will impact how you relate to people and how you respond to them and how you deal with them. Now, uh, I'm going to stop there and we'll pick up that 
again, but I want to look at your questions. I got several questions here. I got I got at least eight questions, and then I got several comments. Uh, question number one, I don't know if it's, and this was one that I had last week, but I, I didn't get to it. I don't know if it's my pride, but sometimes I don't know what to say to someone who has hurt me. So I don't say anything and distance myself. Is that pride? Well, it may be. It may be pride. It depends. Okay. Someone hurts you. You don't know what to say. There, most people don't know exactly what to say when someone hurt them. So there may be a time that you may need to process the hurt, process your feelings, process what happened. There's nothing wrong with that, okay? Uh, so you don't say anything during that period of time. But when you say, I distance myself, then it depends. If you're in a position of threat, that there's some harm you uh, may experience by verbalizing the hurt and verbalizing the feeling, then you may need to distance yourself, remove yourself to a place of safety. Okay, but if that's not the case, you're not concerned about any injury or violence or whatever. You're not concerned about that. You may distance yourself for a moment, but when you get to the place where I don't want to talk to you anymore, I'm through with you, that kind of thing, then you into a situation of pride because God is about building bridges. Now, you may go to the person and say, you hurt me and you didn't say this right, didn't do this right, or you neglected me or whatever, and the person may not respond properly or the way you think they should respond. That's a whole different animal. Now, you've done what you need to do, okay? But to just distance myself and I'm just through with that situation and you hurt, but you never confront the person or say anything to the person, I think you get open to an area of pride in that question. Is there a protocol in Faith Chapel if you feel a leader of the church is abusing their position? Yeah, I think there's a protocol. I think you should go to the next person in authority and communicate uh, what you think the person is doing or did to abuse the authority. If you're not satisfied there, you should go to the next person all the way up to um, uh, uh, Michael K is the executive pastor and all the way up to the senior pastor. That's me. You can go all the way up. But now listen, here's the thing. When you feel somebody's abused, and you're going to confront that situation. You can't just throw out a letter or throw out a comment, but you're not willing to be in a setting where that person can respond. If so if that's the way you want to do it, then you're not going to get much ground anywhere because sometimes people want to throw some out, but they don't want people to know I said that or I that's me. They don't want to because, see, if you're accusing somebody, that person should be able to hear what you're saying, too. And if you should have an objective person there, normally that next person in authority, objective person there, uh, and you say what you say. So, yes, there is protocol. Question, Pastor Mike. When you can, please post a list of the different types of pride and their related scripture. Um, 
we were we were de- dealing with um, <laughs> we were dealing with uh, that, and I think we were intending to put some on there. I don't know if I got all the scriptures that you you're giving me another. You're giving me another homework assignment. I'm not sure I'm gonna be able to look up all the scriptures, but 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 I think that you're gonna be able to see it once you get it, especially if you're spending time in the Word. And you can always call and and talk to some pastor or care person, and they can help you with the scripture. I'm not sure I'm gonna be able to go back and put this scripture with everything, but I I think that's a good request in terms of posting what we said. Question: What do you do when confidence is mistaken for pride? Well, you know that's that's a good question. Um, I think that is one of the costs of being a uh, c- confident person. I don't th- I, I don't think there's a way around that. Here's and you, I'll give you an illustration. You know, I've said this over the years that when the dust dust selling, dust settle, I'm gonna be standing. I say you're not gonna read about me, you know, and all this in the papers and all that. Now, when you hear that, it can sound like pride, and I'm sounding very confident in it. But at the same time, I'm not basing that on me or willpower. I'm basing that on something that God said to me. I agree with him. He said, you shall both do great things that prevail. So you're not going to be as long as you know that you're basing your confidence on God's grace and God's blessing in your life and, and God's helping you. And you know that you can't do anything about people thinking you're proud. And I don't think you need to do anything about it, especially when you know what you're basing your confidence on and you're basing your confidence on God working with you and through you and for you. I don't think you have to, uh, I don't think there's a place where you're gonna be able to walk in confidence and nobody don't think you're proud. They thought Jesus was proud. They said, well, who do you think you are? You know, who do you think you are? Talk about you were with Abraham. You, you, you uh, were with the Father. Who do you think you are? Well, he was just telling the truth. Anytime you tell the truth in an environment that's based off the natural and facts and stuff, you're going to sound arrogant. Uh, but it's a great question. How do you balance desire, vision, faith with pride? Uh, it, it's, it's, it's not a hard thing to me. You have a desire. Your desire should be based on scripture. You have a vision that you believe God has put in your heart and you have faith to, to carry it out. You balance it by giving God the credit. You balance by, by acknowledging other people who've helped you. That's how you balance it. You give God the credit. Because you know if it's faith, it wasn't you that pulled it off. It's faith in God. So you give him the credit. And then usually God uses other people. So you, you give those people the credit. These people helped me. You know, for example, it was faith to build a 3,000-seat sanctuary, uh, debt-free, uh, and then to build a $27 million uh, family activity center. It took faith to do that. 
But it wasn't my faith alone. It was thousands of people in our church believing for the same thing. So you balance desire, vision, faith, and with pride by giving God the praise for the success and also recognizing the contribution that other people made toward it. Question, how do you, uh, question, Pastor Mike, would you say that it is pride when you are a leader over ministry and God gives someone in the ministry with you an idea for the ministry and you as the leader said that per person with the person with the idea, not at this time, we will use your idea at another time. Now, I don't see that as being proud. Here's the issue of feedback, and, and I'm glad that question came up because leaders who don't listen to feedback, to me, are proud leaders. The balance is this question. Every time someone gives you feedback, as a leader, you can't just go out and do everything people want to do. There has to be a balance there. And sometimes we say, listen to feedback. I get all kinds of ideas, all kinds of stuff. Sometimes we don't have the finances yet to do it. Or maybe we prioritize the finances a different place. Sometimes we don't have the, the human resources to do it. Sometimes it can be outside of what the vision of what God has given us. So there are different reasons why a person may not say yes to your feedback, but I'm saying leaders should be open to it. And if a leader says, we can't not, not, not at this time, we'll use your diet another time, that sounds like a leader who's willing to use the idea, but it's a time and issue. Comment. Pastor, this is one of the most important lessons you've taught. Wow, I'm glad you thought that. Because I kind of sense that it's very important, whether it's the most important, I don't know, but I, I sense it was very important. I had so much other stuff I wanted to share. Didn't get to it. But then it's my it's my podcast. I can just push that over to the next week. Uh, comment. Pride is a slippery slope that I think I move in and out of my growth development. And I think that's a really honest answer. Uh, I try to, you know, we all growing, but I try to monitor myself, but it'll sneak up in there. Pride will get up in there, but I'm telling you, if you got that thing down and you don't have to evaluate yourself, I high five you. Because I can't say I got it down and I don't have to evaluate myself. I think we have to always evaluate our motives. I think we have to always evaluate even our decisions. Sometimes I ask myself, why did you make that decision? Okay, was it to impress people? Were you thinking about the people? And I think if you start measuring your decisions by people and God, am I serving people? Am I blessing people? 
Uh, am I pleasing God? It, does it glorify God? Is it consistent with what God wants me to do? I think if you think people and God, it'll keep you out of pride because pride really has to do itself. I will exalt my throne above. The, I will exalt my throne. I will this. I will this. That's what Satan said. I will. And it was all about that person, about himself. Me, 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 what's best for me? And when you get over into what's best for me and impressing people and trying to make this impression on people, you're getting over into the area of pride. Well, we, we're covering some territory and I can judge by your comments and your questions that it's helping you, you're listening and I'm glad and I want you to share this information uh, with someone else. God bless you and we'll see you next time.